stabilize, plan, and then grow. So I would say start by, as we've discussed, fully knowing your cash flow position and runway. Do everything you can to conserve cash, reduce non-mandatory spending. Once you've sort of stabilized and, you know, the panic is over, start looking for ways to generate cash flow during this time. Are there ways to make pivots or adjust your products to services or services to what customers need right now? Take some time to strategize. Think about post-COVID. How do you really want to strategically position your operations for growth once the recovery comes? And what do you need to adjust to move forward and grow in the new economy post-pandemic? Yesterday, when my son received his baseball uniform for this season, man, the disappointed look on his face completely breaks my heart. I know how much he misses his sport. Speed skating ended suddenly for him. One day he was getting ready for his final race, hoping that he will beat his best time for the year. Next, we're in a lockdown. Then baseball practices got canceled and we don't even know if baseball season will happen. It hasn't been quote unquote normal life for him or for any of us for this matter over the last seven weeks. Life is different, but it won't be forever. For us, for my son, and for everybody else. The only thing I said to him, let's focus on things that we know, things that we can still enjoy and can control. The same with us entrepreneurs. We do have some control over our life and our business. It's time to move on. It's time to think about recovery and growth. This old playbook of winging the financial aspect of a business is really the old ways. The unexpected mess of COVID-19 should be a wake-up call where many businesses realize the financial aspect of a business is equally important as your marketing plan. Many of you are figuring it out how to bring in more revenue. You come up with new strategy, maybe new strategy with diversification of products, maybe diversification of e-commerce. It could be exporting to other countries. No matter what is your plan to recover, creating a long-term cash flow projection must be your new normal. Because after all, cash is the oxygen of sustainable business. Building a new financial model that seems foreign and unusual, where you can change your assumption under different scenario, should be the normal tool in your back pocket that you can pull out at any time. One thing that you need to learn from this crisis is that you have to be fluid in your forecast. You have to have a tool where you can make changes so quickly and then you know what is the impact to your cash flow. The old ways of relying on your intuition and bookkeeping alone won't cut it. After the mess that we are all experiencing, it's really time to step up your financial game and grow your business to the next level. Catherine Schifferley, founder and CEO of Work Truck Solution and Convoy in episode 58, talk about how quickly her CFO was able to update the business financial model so Catherine could communicate effectively to her investors and board members about the financial health of the business. As I mentioned, 
of financial model is a normal tool that now you should have in your business. If you haven't listened to Katrin Chevrolet's CEO journey, head on over to christinashahli.com forward slash podcast and be ready for an amazing conversation. You're listening to her CEO journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi, because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for over a year, I want you to know, I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. Feel free to send me a private message on LinkedIn or submit your question using the link provided in the show notes. Tell me which part of the conversation in this episode resonates and inspires you. And if you have follow-up questions after listening to this episode, ask me. I will do a bonus episode to answer your question on this podcast, or I will post on LinkedIn if we are connected there. I have been answering questions that I received over the last few weeks inside my bonus episode as well as on LinkedIn. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I take you behind the scenes and into the inner workings of our businesses, sharing the good, the bad, and the truth about the money we have made or lost and recover as entrepreneurs. And all because we want to inspire you to achieve financial equality through your business. I'm excited to share my conversation with Jennifer Cook. She is a corporate lead for EDC Women in Trade Strategy. EDC stands for Export Development of Canada. In her role, Jennifer is focused specifically on helping more women entrepreneurs export to grow their business. Remember how I mentioned diversification at the beginning of my intro? Exporting is one of the ways where you can reach out to 1.5 billion new customers. So listen carefully to my conversation with Jennifer because I believe it will open a new world for you. Jennifer and I also touch on the EDC Loan Guarantee, which is a financing program under the Business Credit Account Program or BCAP launched by the Canadian government to help small businesses. You can listen to a solo episode that I released on April 21st for more details on the EDC Loan Guarantee. Let's find out Jennifer's CEO journey. Jennifer Cup, welcome to her CEO journey. How are you? How are you, Christina? Thanks for having this conversation today. I am really excited to introduce EDC to my audience. So before we get into EDC or Export Development of Canada, what is it all about? Can you share your journey to get where you are? Because you have a very big role with women entrepreneurs. Yeah, I'd love to. So Essentially, I've worked with Export Development Canada, EDC as we're known, for almost 10 years now. And while part of this organization, I've always been part of our business development team. So working directly with Canadian companies, really to help them enjoy the benefits of exporting and to grow their business into new international markets. 
as a past entrepreneur myself, I really do know the challenges that companies face in finding information and in finding customers and, and ultimately finding the capital that they need to grow and scale internationally. Having started my career in finance, I actually really enjoy helping Canadian businesses to ensure that they're leveraging the financial tools that are available to them to grow, mm -hmm. and in particular, women business owners. About a year and a half ago, I moved into my current role, which was a brand new role at EBC, which is specifically to develop and execute a strategy for how we at EBC can help more Canadian women entrepreneurs access the tools they need so that they can enter new markets and grow confidently and successfully. And that's truly my passion. And I feel fortunate to, to be able to go to work every day and do this, do this work. <laughs> Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that. So Chen, you mentioned that you were an entrepreneur. So what did you do before that, before EDC? Well, after several years after university and, and working in, in corporate and merchant financing, as I had mentioned, I realized that I really wanted to try something that had been a dream of mine for a long time. I was working in the U.S. and I worked in Europe for a few years. And, and so at this point, I just I moved back to Canada and I really wanted to get into the fashion industry. So oh. ever since I was a teenager and so I changed career paths completely. And um, did a year of, of fashion marketing study uh -huh. and then started working for, for some of the retailers, the big brands uh, here in Toronto. And, you know, realized that, well, I want to try this for myself. And so myself and, a, and two other people got together. We had uh, discovered a really amazing accessories designer who was from Mexico. And she created beautiful jewelry. This was in, in during the days when, you know, semi-precious stones and sterling silver was really big and mm -hmm. she made beautiful designs. And so we got together and, and started a company so for women's high-end accessories. And mm -hmm. my role in that business was all the sales and publish, publicity for the business. So, you know, I was knocking on doors with retailers and establishing relationships with agents and distributors in the U.S. and in Mexico and, and really just trying to sell and get our products into stores. You know, when you say fashion, I'm like, yeah, that's my passion as well. <laughs> well, you know what? It's true. I love it. And I discovered it's a really tough industry, first of all, mm. to compete. It takes mm. a lot of of capital. You need deep pockets because you're really building a brand, right? At the end of the day, it's difficult to to really earn a living. So so now I'm I'm earning a living helping entrepreneurs oh. so that I can afford the fashion that I love to wear. Oh my god! <laughs> I hear you. I completely hear you. Like so. it, it's funny when you say fashion, my brain just lit up because at some point in my life. I was thinking that I want to be a fashion buyer because I did yes. an internship. So I graduated from University of Oregon and then, you know, I was doing an internship for a boutique over in Oregon, right? So I was like so close thinking like, oh, yeah. I should just change to marketing instead of finance. 
Yeah, but that's I it, it, right? We all have our, our, our path. But but it's one one piece of advice that I give to many young women, actually, is you need to follow your passion, follow your dream. Because yeah. if you don't try stuff, and I've done many different things in my career, all of which actually at the time didn't necessarily make sense in a linear career progression fashion. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, it brings you to the place you're meant to be. And I truly feel that my experience working in finance, working as an entrepreneur, I worked for an IT firm at one point doing um, client project management. So all of that comes together. And I use all the skills I've learned in the job that I have today. And so really, it is a journey. And, you know, that's why I love your podcast, because you talk about that CEO journey. And yes, and you really have to follow what your heart tells you to get you to that right place. It's true. It's very true. I appreciate what you are sharing. So I'm assuming that's why you are so passionate about helping women entrepreneurs. It's certainly part of it. But I will say that on top of that, Christina, there's so many other reasons. And part of that is what the numbers tell us. So today in Canada, women own 16% of all small and medium-sized enterprises, yep. SMEs. Mm-hmm. Um, so today. small, right? So like, small. I couldn't believe it. But what we do know as well is that women are starting businesses at a faster and faster rate these days. They're creating businesses that really are addressing some of the world's most pressing problems. And women are innovating, they're developing solutions that are going to improve our lives. And this is what's really exciting for me. The facts still remain that women are not necessarily leveraging the tools that are available to them, Mm -hmm. and uh, whether it's financing or risk mitigation tools, which can really help them grow and scale and and take their business to the next level, take that business to the world. So in my work, I really hope to inspire more women to learn about finance and global business and get comfortable with it. So while we're talking about stats over here, right, I also realized that Only 11% of those 16% women-led businesses are exporter. Why do you think the percentage is so low? I believe that there's a lot of misconceptions about exporting. Among Canadian businesses generally, but especially with women, a lot of women entrepreneurs that I talk to um, or business owners, there's this idea that exporting is only for large companies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not the case. Even more today with the technology that we have, you can be a a one-person business and still export if you're leveraging e-commerce or Mm -hmm. online tools to to deliver your product or your service. Mm -hmm. The second misconception is that exporting is only for companies that actually produce and manufacture and, and goods and that ship it outside of Canada. But do do you know that it wasn't that long ago, but Canada's services have surpassed goods in exports. So really, yeah. So services can absolutely be exported. You don't even have to leave Canada to export your services. Canada is among one of the countries that has the most 
uh, free trade agreements. So with all the, the free trade agreements that our government has negotiated around the world, what that really means is access to more customers. And Minister Ng, the Minister of Small Business, mm -hmm. Export Promotion and International Trade, says this all the time, is that we have access through our free trade agreements to 1.5 billion customers around the world. Who doesn't want that? So aside from the misconception, do you believe that they just need the tool, they need the resources? I think with women entrepreneurs especially, they just need to dream big, right? There's a lot of information uh, that, that comes out all over the place, but the Women's Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, which was created recently by the government and is led by Ryerson and the Diversity Institute, talks about, you know, the differences between men and women entrepreneurs, one of them is that men will often start a career in corporate, in, you know, a corporate job, and then leave and bring their expertise to start a business. Whereas women actually start a business as a means of self-employment and to get experience and then will often move into the corporate world from there. So if women are, are starting out with less experience, they're not thinking big, right? And so I really want to encourage, and that's what I do a lot in my job, is encourage women entrepreneurs to think big, you know, go for it, dream and, and make that come true, right? Take your business to the world. Mm, I love that message. Correct me if I'm uh, wrong here. When people think about exporting, the first thing, at least in my mind as well, I'm thinking like that's going to require a lot of capital. Where am I going to get that money? I'm too scared to put my foot forward and then say, I'm going to take the risk to go for a financing and so my business can grow. You've raised so many things, interesting things for us to talk about. So there is this idea that women are more conservative, risk averse, but really the way I see it is that women are just more risk aware and they view risk differently. They view it holistically because it's not just about their business. They also, women think about all the aspects of their life, right? They have families that, you know, they need to protect yeah. and business is just part of their life. And when it comes to taking on debt, the truth is that women are actually... Uh, a safer risk for many financiers because they are more aware. Women like to learn and know everything and understand both the risks and the benefits before they make a decision about anything. And that's great. And that's why we've built our women in trade strategy on five pillars. And it starts with awareness, understanding the benefits for your business of exporting. Do you know there's been studies done that say that exporters are more profitable, they are more efficient, they're more competitive, and in fact, they stay in business longer. So there's tons of benefits to exporting. And, and, and in fact, exporting helps you mitigate risk because you're spreading your customers across different markets. And so, you know, when mar one market might go up or one market might go down, another one goes up. So you're mitigating risk under that concept mm. of don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes, diversification. You know I mean? diversification. Yeah, diversification. Yeah. But the second pillar of our strategy is about education and providing women the knowledge and the tools that they need to better 
understand new markets and understand risk and how to mitigate risk with the tools that are available so that they can go forward confidently. Certainly doing business outside of Canada is more risky. I'm not going to say it's not, but there's a lot of ways to mitigate those risks and to do it so that you get all the benefits of exporting within your business. The third pillar for us is about connections. So for me and for EDC, connections means connecting women entrepreneurs to the ecosystem of organizations that can help them. EDC is just one partner, one valuable partner in that whole ecosystem. Uh, and we play a very specific role, but there's tons of other partners that are here to help women entrepreneurs grow and flourish. But the other aspect of it is connecting them to opportunities helping them understand what opportunities there are in different markets, whether it's in the United States or in Europe, or even as far as Asia and, and Australia. So we partner, for example, with the Trade Commissioner Service of Canada, which is an amazing organization, part of Global Affairs Canada. It's the trade branch of Global Affairs Canada. And guess what they do? They do trade missions. And there's a specific group within the Trade Commissioner Service that runs trade missions women-only trade missions. The fourth pillar is about enabling, which is really about making sure that women know about and access the financial tools that we offer. So we want to enable mm. them with that access to capital that they need to grow, because you're right. When you consider going, uh, starting to export, for example, even just to the United States from Canada, chances are contracts are going to be bigger. You need access to working capital as you start gaining this new business, which is bigger contracts. So you need to have a plan in place. If you don't plan for market entry and how you're going to access a market and, and how you're going to have the right resources, both financial and human resources in place, those are really keys to success, to being successful when you, you start exporting. The fifth pillar is about empowerment, voicing our commitment to gender equity and women's economic empowerment. One example is that last year, EDC signed on to the women's empowerment principles of the UN. We are really committed to supporting gender equity, even within our own organization. As an example, we've, we are super proud that we have a gender-balanced board of directors with 50% women on our board, as well as a woman chair of the board. We have our first woman president. We're close to 50% of women in, in leadership positions at EDC as well. What are the tools that EDC provide mm. to basically serve these five pillars? Our main goal is to help Canadian companies access capital with the specific mandate of helping them grow through international markets. Mm -hmm. Okay, We are a self-sustaining financial institution. So even though we're owned 100% by the Canadian government, we don't take money from the Canadian government. So we are we operate independently and we are a for-profit business, okay? So we charge for all of our service. We don't do any grant. What we do specifically to help Canadian uh, companies grow through export is fits into four main buckets. The first is financing, okay? So that's predominantly through loan guarantees and other working capital solutions where we work with the private financial institutions, all the banks, because we have a partnership preferred approach mm -hmm. and we help exporters get access to that incremental credit that they need, especially as they're fast growing and scaling their businesses. 
The second bucket is insurance. It's not really that sort of property kind of insurance. It's business insurance. So we want to help companies protect their accounts receivable, which is the largest asset on their books against Mm -hmm. the risks of non-payment, especially Mm -hmm. when they're dealing with buyers outside of Canada. You know, Mm -hmm. one large receivable that's unpaid can really have a harmful impact on their business. A third bucket is all about knowledge, okay? Knowledge about international markets, knowledge about international trade, knowledge about export readiness and planning, all those great things to help companies be successful at exporting. Mm -hmm. And the fourth bucket is connections, like I talked about. Um, So connections to the ecosystem and resources uh, to support them, as well as to international business opportunities where, you know, EDC can leverage our relationships internationally because we have offices in over 20 countries around the world where we're building relationships with large foreign multinationals to understand their their procurement needs and trying to attract them to Canadian companies and the capabilities and innovative businesses that we have here in Canada for them to to procure from, from our Canadian companies. So those are the big buckets. Given the situation that we are in right now, with the crisis, where can EDC come in and help small business owners? Right now, really what it's about, Christina, is liquidity and getting liquidity to companies that are really suffering a cash crunch. You know, we've done things with our current suite of solutions and we've also introduced some new ones. So, you know, for current customers that were already leveraging our loan guarantees and our insurance products, we've we've really tried as much as possible to get cash in the hands of companies by deferring interest payments or or guarantee fees, you know, working with customers to really make our programs more flexible. The government of Canada has also been uh, announcing lots of stimulus measures, some of which EDC has been asked to play a really important role, along with our sister company, the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC. Mm -hmm. So back in March, EDC announced its support for Canadian companies that are impacted by COVID through the Business Credit Availability Program and from our side, what that means is it's a guarantee program for small and medium-sized businesses. Essentially, it can be used by Canadian businesses, including those now as well that aren't necessarily exporting right now because EDC was also given some, some temporary domestic powers so that we can have impact for more Canadian businesses. So whereas before the crisis, we were really limited to working with companies that are already exporting or have a plan to export within the next 12 months. Now our our guarantees can be used by any Canadian company. So the BCAP guarantee is used to help a bank set up a new loan facility for Canadian companies that need access to immediate operating cash flow due to needs caused by COVID, okay? It's for loans that can be up to 6.25 million and where the proceeds of that new loan can be used for short-term liquidity purposes to sustain their operations, okay? So it's not for things like, you know, refinancing debt or for paying dividends. It's not for that. These loans will have interest and a guarantee fee, which is lower, um, Mm -hmm. and they're being automatically postponed for six months to, again, help companies access cash during this crisis. 
The way to access this, though, is that companies have to go to their own financial institution because it's the financial institution that is going to apply these loan guarantees, which is up to 80% of the loan, to be able to, to provide these loans to their customers. So there's very few eligibility criteria, uh, and it's all being managed through the banks. EDC yes. is just providing that guarantee. We're not involved in it at all. Now, does EDC have any say who will or won't receive the loan or financial institution will have to do their own due diligence? They are the one that decide who will receive the loan or not. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. So for this particular BCAP guarantee, the EDC BCAP guarantee, it's completely up to the financial institution to do the needs assessment and the underwriting for this. EDC is not involved at all in the credit decision making. Now, okay, I just want to clarify because I know a lot of entrepreneurs out there is basically thinking, oh, there is a guarantee 80% on the loan. My understanding, the guarantee, it has nothing to do with the entrepreneurs. It's more to give more access uh, or from the financial institution. Can you clarify on that, Jan? Yes, you're exactly right. So the BCAP guarantee or any other EDC loan guarantee is there to help the financial institution say yes, okay, in providing loans to companies when perhaps they might otherwise not because it might be a little beyond their risk appetite. The way it works is, you know, it's in the circumstance that the client is unable to repay the loan that EDC covers, in this case, 80% of the loss from the unpaid balance to the bank. So that 80% guarantee from EDC is essentially improving the loan's risk profile for the bank. In their credit models, the bank effectively uses EDC's AAA Government of Canada rating on 80% of the transaction rather than the client's credit rating, which improves the overall profile of that deal. Okay, And knowing that EDC has more appetite to support these loans, because we have the mandate to help Canadian companies be successful, that's why we do it. And we do that both in times of crisis and in times of growth. But I do really want to emphasize you know, a few things. The loan still needs to make sense, okay? Mm -hmm. So that means that the company still has to be creditworthy, has to be able to demonstrate the ability to repay the loan, the full loan, okay? Not just the 20%. Mm -hmm. It's still the company's responsibility to repay the full loan. EDC guarantee does not make a bad loan, okay? The bank is still taking 20% of the risk, and so they're going to do their due diligence on the full amount and take the decision. Client is responsible for the full loan amount and will, at the end of the day, need to repay the full loan amount. That's why the financial institution feel necessary to go through the normal due diligence process, right? And then so I read the description about the EDC loan guarantee. The business has to be financially viable before the crisis. And then I think that's very key If you have an issue prior to the crisis, you really need to think hard. What is the real issue here? If you already have a cash flow problem, is getting the loan going to add more issue? Because the loan to me, the way I see it, it's like a bridge, right? Once you cross that, yeah, once you cross that bridge, if you don't know what to do or how to fix the problem, then you're just adding more problem to 
another problem that you already have or existing problem. Because a lot of entrepreneurs thinking, oh, 80% is guaranteed by EDC. I only need to pay the 20%. But that's not true. Not true. No, no. And your point is really, really valid. Yeah. I mean, these are companies that were going going great, that were, you know, performing and solid, and then COVID hit, and they have some direct impacts from COVID. So I guess my suggestion is that, you know, it's really important for women entrepreneurs to have a really good sense of their cash flow and their projections when they're approaching their bank, know how much they need and when, and also consider what they're going to need beyond COVID during the recovery to get back up into full business Mm -hmm. and position themselves for growth. Because I know I've heard a lot as well about, you know, businesses are worried about taking on debt, but it is going to take a bit of cash to get your business going again, right? Through, Mm -hmm. through COVID, but really understanding your cash flow is super, super important. Yes. And then I think it's not only cash flow needs in the short term, like you mentioned, you have to do a cash flow projection forecast for the next 12 to 18 months, because we already heard from the government, right? They're saying that the social distancing going to continue for a little bit longer. So you have to understand what is that the impact? If you have a restaurant, for example, what is your capacity? right? Like how many people you can bring into the restaurant? How many workers or employees that you need to bring in? How are you going to manage manage that? Unfortunately, there will be extra costs, right? Like you said, there will be some gap between when you're going to receive the money from your operation and when you need to put in the extra investment to continue building your business for the long term. What other resources or help that EDC can do outside the EDC loan guarantee or BCAP? So super good question, because there's actually a lot that EDC offers and and it's not very well known. One of the biggest ones is credit insurance. And really what credit insurance is about is about protecting your sales. And it also helps you increase access to working capital. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. So EDC's credit insurance will cover 90% of insured sales against the risk of non-payment. So when a company is selling on open account terms, they have an account receivable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if their customer doesn't pay, that can be a risk. It's a risk to the business. It's a risk to not being able to pay back your loans, mm-hmm. right? But if you those accounts receivable are insured and the customer doesn't pay, EDC will pay out 90% of the value of that account receivable. It's a very, very valuable tool for companies to consider because there's really three benefits, right? It's a sleep at night factor, especially, you know, if you're selling to a new customer that you don't know as well, like maybe you've pivoted your business a little bit, or you, you know, you're starting to talk to customers in a new country that you don't know as well. Secondly, it helps your lenders be more comfortable because they're lending on the basis of your assets and accounts receivable, like we talked about already, is one of the biggest assets on a company's book. And that's what banks lend against. If your accounts receivable are outside of Canada, they're riskier and banks don't necessarily assign the same lending value. But if they're insured, it gives the bank comfort that, yes, even if the buyer doesn't pay, you'll get 90% of that the value from your insurance. And so my loan is more secure. So banks will actually tend to lend more when accounts receivable are insured. 
But thirdly, and what I, I might argue is one of the, the best reasons to ensure your accounts receivable is because it can help you be more competitive. When you're out there in the market, especially entering a new market, a lot of companies will say, well, I won't sell to you unless you pay me up front. That's not super competitive in the global market that we operate in today. Most buyers want, you know, uh, 30 days, 45 days to pay, right? And so if you know that you can ensure those accounts receivable, you can offer better payment terms to your customers and be more competitive. And oftentimes you can price in the, the price of the insurance into your price. So it can really help you be more competitive in the marketplace to increase your sales. So there's lots of different options around coverage. You can you know, choose to insure your entire book of accounts receivable or just certain buyers. There's a lot of flexibility there. So what is the cost of capital or the cost of this insurance, Jen, like in general? Well, you know what? It really varies. Um, frankly, okay. it varies on whether you're just insuring one customer. Is the, you know What's the risk of that customer? The thing is the cost is tied not to the credit rating of the Canadian company. It's tied okay. more to the profile of the Canadian company's customers because ah, that's, it, what, that's the risk that yes, EBC yes. is taking, right? It's yes, the risk yes. of those buyers and that they're not going to pay. So that's mean EDC will do credit checking yes. on the customer instead yes. of looking at your own credit checking. Exactly. Right? Got and it, that's got another it. value, right? Because yes. small businesses, sometimes they don't have the resources to do a deep dive credit check on yes. all their customers. Let EDC do that for you and, and have that sleep at night factor. So, okay. so it's got a it. super valuable tool that I, I really think isn't leveraged enough by Canadian companies. We also have some solutions that can help increase access to capital. So for example, if companies need to issue bank guarantees for various mm -hmm. reasons, it's more common in certain industries, or if you're selling to governments, for example, that you'll need to issue standby letters of credit or, or bank guarantees mm -hmm. through your bank. You go to your bank to do that, but the bank will require 100% cash collateral to yes. issue those instruments, yes, right? Yes, I know. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? EDC can provide 100% irrevocable, unsecured guarantee to the bank. Oh, that really? Yes, and it replaces the collateral the bank needs to issue those instruments. So it can really free up working capital for companies that need to post those kinds of bonds. I wish I have known EDC before. You see, <laughs> this is because, the problem. I know because there were millions. I still remember when the bank issue letter of credit, basically on the balance sheets, there is like a pot of money that you cannot touch. And then you, yes, it's tied up. You cannot use it. And a real simple example of that, even, you know, for small business is yeah. landlord lease obligations, right? Oh. Sometimes landlords want two, three, six, a year's worth of yes. rent yes. deposit. Uh -huh. Well, if the landlord is willing to take a standby letter of credit instead of, you know, having the cash in the bank, it yep. can free up that cash and, uh, and and it's a really valuable tool. So this, this is interesting though. So let's say that I have a letter of credit for a million dollars, right? Yeah. So EDC going to give me a million dollars or only a no. percentage? So what EDC will do, so if you have a letter of credit for a million dollars yeah. that the bank issued, the bank is holding that million dollars of your cash. Yes. It's collateral. You can't touch yes. it. EDC will now 
provide a guarantee for a million dollars to the bank and the bank will release your cash. So it's really replacing that collateral, that million dollars of cash collateral yes. that the bank holds with yes. an EDC guarantee. So the company will pay a fee, uh, a couple of percent for that guarantee, but it gives them access to their cash. Now, in the case that that guarantee is called, the company still will be liable to pay back EDC. But there's an agreement between EDC and the customer, the Canadian customer, when we provide that guarantee for them, that if it gets called, we're going to work out how you're going to pay EDC back. So EDC does underwrite that based on the credit of the Canadian company. So that's, that's an, in, yeah, that makes sense. That's an interesting one. So in general, Jen, can you share like what information if a client or new client approach EDC and then they're interested to work with EDC? What kind of information, financial and non-financial, that EDC require? Each situation is going to be different, okay, depending on what need and solutions they're looking for. But Mm -hmm. like most financial institutions, EDC is going to look for more, like more or less the same kind of info. We want to learn about the business, about the entrepreneur. And so we'll ask for things like some basic information about the company, an overview of the business, the value proposition, who are their clients, where do they sell to, you know, what's your your growth plan? What's your business strategy or your plan going forward? What are your goals and objectives? And then we also want to hear about your current challenges in being able to achieve those objectives because that's where we work with you to identify the needs and the areas where EDC or other partners might be able to help. So it starts with a conversation about the business. When it comes down to the various financial solutions, there's, of course, standard application forms, like for credit insurance, We want to know about the sales. Who are you selling to? Where are your customers? What are the credit terms upon which you're selling? Uh, So that we can then best structure a policy around the needs of your business. For financing and those other trade finance guarantees, we're going to ask more for some financial information. Two to three years of accountant prepared financial statements and possibly some in-house interim statements. We're going to look for financial projections, like we talked about, including cash flow projections for 12, 18 months. We're going to look for information about the company structure and ownership, who are the owners in the management team, etc. I know that you've been dealing with a lot of entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs during this crisis. Any success story that you can share to lift up the hope of my audience? One company that I I heard about recently, which is super exciting, is a woman-owned business that manufactures and sells a line of odor-removing solutions. You know, for example, uh, pet smells or other terrible smells in your house. She has great products for removing terrible odors. And she fought quickly and actually made a move to pivot and is using her equipment, her manufacturing equipment, to now manufacture hand sanitizer, which is opening a whole new market for her during this time. And so, for example, looking at ensuring some new customers to make sure that the investment she's made will pay off for her and that she'll get paid on these new sales. So she's using the credit insurance. Credit insurance. Another example that I've heard of recently is a woman-owned company that provides online learning solutions. 
So she has a platform that she leverages and also sells to clients. Of course, as soon as COVID hits, it's it's more difficult, right? Contracts are being delayed and things like yeah. that. So she needed some access quickly to working capital. She did have one new larger contract that she needs to fulfill, but also, you know, was seeing a lot of reductions in sales. So she needed access to working capital. So she worked with EDC and her bank to increase her line of credit with an EDC guarantee, where EDC guaranteed the full increase in the line of credit that she required to meet her cash flow needs. So these are real life examples of companies leveraging these tools to either protect or access more working capital to help them through this crisis and beyond. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing that they can access it and because of the the guarantee that EDC provides. I love that story. Now, okay, what are your top three advice for business owner that what they should be doing right now to come out on the other side of this crisis? a great question. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of advice out there. I was actually listening to another webinar recently with a local angel investor who I thought put it really, really well. He said, you want to stabilize, plan, and then grow. So mm-hmm. I would say start by, as we've discussed, fully knowing your cash flow position and runway. Do everything you can to conserve cash, reduce non-mandatory spending. And if you're considering any of the new business credit programs, fully evaluate and plan your cash flow before contacting your bank so that you're prepared, right, to discuss your financial position as well as your plan forward and your forecasts for how you're going to get through this and beyond. I would say take care of your staff, realign your company for survival, which includes taking care of yourself, right? We all need to really take care of ourselves right now. And then once you've sort of stabilized and, you know, the panic is over, Start looking for ways to generate cash flow during this time. Are there ways to make pivots or adjust your products to services or services to what customers need right now? Take some time to strategize. Think about post-COVID. How do you really want to strategically position your operations for growth once the recovery comes? And what do you need to adjust to move forward and grow in the new economy post-pandemic? And I think another thing is that if you are currently serving only only Canadian market, then maybe you need to rethink how you're going to diversify. Like you, we mentioned earlier, right? How can you work with EDC to diversify to a different market? I really think the diversification approach is really important to any business. And then I think it can help you grow to the next level. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? Where can people uh, approach EDC? Oh, contact me anytime. I would love to speak to any woman entrepreneur. But the best recommendation is to go to edc.ca slash women in trade with dashes between those three. Uh, We have a dedicated website just for women entrepreneurs. What about yourself? Where can we find you? Connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, that's probably the easiest way to find me. Okay. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you, Christina. It's been really great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to christinashahli.com forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast. 
And don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.